All right, welcome to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. This is not Andrew giving the intro today. Andrew is actually on the road from a gig with his band uh, playing last night in Little Rock, Arkansas. He was with us uh, in the car on the uh, phone, but uh, we lost him. So I'm going to go ahead and maybe he'll join us. So we'd like to welcome today. This is our special guest. This is Mikhail Bryan. He grew up in Ohio, played junior hockey. Ended up choosing to play at Suffolk. We're going to talk a lot about Boston in this episode. Played for the Suffolk Rams starting in 2015, captain his senior year. We're going to go over some stats with him later on as well. Um, played uh, about, I think it was two weeks, we're going to ask him, uh, in Evansville in professional hockey. And then he got went right into coaching, assistant coach at Curry College out in Milton, Massachusetts, and currently assistant coach at Tufts University in Massachusetts as well. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Mikhail. Mikhail, welcome. Thank you. appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did I screw up anything in the intro? Usually Andrew does the intro. Not at all. That was perfect. All right. So this is a unique episode for us because um, your playing career as far as after collegiate, you had, uh, and I'm assuming we'll get into it. I'm assuming maybe it was just a, a small break between uh, when you were playing for Suffolk that you uh, jumped into uh, Evansville and got some playing time with them. Um, but then you just went right into uh, teaching, I'm uh, sorry, not teaching, uh, coaching. But uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, junior and how junior hockey prepared you to go into the collegiate world. Yeah. Um, so when I when I started playing juniors, I was probably, I don't know, maybe 155, 60 pounds. Um, not the, you know, five, five, nine, five, ten. Didn't grow at all over those two years, but definitely like got stronger and developed just off the ice through I was 18 to 19 and then sorry, 19 to 20 and then 20 to 21. Um, so I think just like from a physical maturity standpoint, it prepared me a lot better than having gone right from prep school or U18. Uh, I wasn't like a big kid for my age and was definitely not overly physically developed. So just the pure time aspect of that helped. And then, you know, where I played juniors in, in Springfield, Mass, like we, my first year, we were in the lower the league, it was their first year, the split between uh, the old EJ and AJ. So we we're USPHL and then there was the EHL. We were in the USPHL elite, which was the second league. Premier was the top. Um, we won the league that year in elite. And, you know, we had a really good team, a lot of older guys. I had a very minor role. Um, but like being a part of a championship team and seeing what that took, our coach, I mean, he, he was very... Uh, very intent on like instilling a, a culture and mindset that we would never be outworked, which I know sounds super cliche, but like we'd, we'd win a weekend, we'd sweep a weekend and we'd show up to practice Monday and just get back for an hour, hour and a half. Like there was no, there was no like uh, celebrating a win until we won the championship, which seemed crazy at the time, but looking back, it, it definitely played a role in how good we were. Um, so that, that was like my first year. And then, I, I had originally always thought I would just play one year and go to school, but like that, you know, I wasn't nearly ready. I look back now and think like, as a coach, like I would have never wanted me on a team um, after that. 
after that first year, like I just wasn't nearly ready. Uh, and even after my second year, like still had a lot of, of growing to do. And uh, I think the second year helped. We moved up the league, uh, up a leagues. So we were in the top division that year. And, uh, you know, again, I, I had a, a relatively small role. I played, I think 30 to 35 games as a depth forward third or fourth line usually. And then I ended up playing the last 10 or so games uh, as a defenseman. And I was just straight up because straight up because I was I was getting scratched as a forward. So we lost a couple of D to injury and trade. So I stepped back and played D. Um, and that that's sort of like when I became a more tra not traditional but more permanent defenseman. I ended up playing that in college for most of my college career as well. Um, but you know, I think overall, like it's a, it's a long way to answer your question, but I think the two years in juniors helped me first and foremost, just physically, because I was still very much a boy going into it and feel like I, I grew a lot um, just as like more of an, an older 21 year old man at that, at that point. And then I think I learned a lot about myself as a player and myself as a person, like it's hard, it's hard, you know, being scratched um, my second year as an age out. And even my first year not playing, yeah, I, I played almost every game, but not playing a huge role. Like, you have to figure out a way to still enjoy it, still be successful, find your own like little measures of success instead of what you've always done of goals and assists and playing time and all that. So I think like once I got to college and then I found myself in hard spots, whether it was not producing or not playing well or not even in the lineup, it, it felt so much easier because I had already gone through it uh, for at least a year, really two in juniors. What made you choose Sussex and did you uh, Suffolk and did you have um, any other offers that you're willing to uh, announce publicly? Some guys like, yeah, man, I don't want to mention every school that, but why yeah. Suffolk? Because I mean, first of all, I mean, you know, everybody knows we're, we're from Boston here on the, on the podcast, but Suffolk's kind of a unique university. It's literally downtown Boston, not much of what you would consider a campus, yeah. but a great school, a great school. Yeah. Um, well, I certainly don't have a laundry list of colleges to, to rattle off. So it was just one other school that's in the same conference. Um, you know, it was uh, it was between those two. And for me, like I I had um, I had lived in Springfield two years. The other school was in Springfield. So I was like, eh, you know, if I go there, I'm, I'm in Springfield six years now, which I actually really enjoyed, like the area. And I had a really awesome built family. I still talk to every almost. Um, every month now and see them occasionally. So it wasn't, that I didn't want to stay in Springfield, but I looked at it like I could go live in Boston and I was lucky enough that like financially the, my parents could support me in college and living there and, and everything. So I kind of looked at it like as long as the school was interested in me, I was like my, where I was more leaning towards. Um, I didn't know anything about Boston, Suffolk, any of it. Like, that's just the truth. I grew up, across the Midwest and a couple of different places. The only Suffolk I knew was in Long Island because they were a, a junior team in our league that was called Suffolk PAL at the time. And I actually thought Suffolk was in Long Island the first time I had heard of it. Um, so for me, like, you know, when you don't have a lot of options, it's easy to make a choice. Uh, but, but really like the location of Suffolk is what I, what I liked. And I thought it'd be cool to live in Boston. And I went and saw a game and, um, and uh, like met one of the guys in the team and the coaches. And I just thought like, as long as, as long as this is a place where they feel like I can play and I have a spot, then I'd, I'd love to go here. 
So what are the, if you had to pick like maybe two or three of the biggest teaching moments uh, that you learned from either through the team or the coaching staff or whatever that you've brought into your, your game now as a coach, what would they be? And I do want to rattle off this as well. You were a captain your senior year. And if my stats are wrong, correct me, but it looks like uh, a defenseman, 25 goals, 59 points, uh, captain senior year. So pretty good stats. What was uh, those two or three really things that you've taken away from playing in Suffolk? Yeah. Um, well, I will say I played my last year and a half as a forward. Um, so not all those those points were as a D. Most of them were as oh, a forward. Oh, man. All right. Well, I take my statement back. Right <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no. So, um, yeah, I, I think like some, some big lessons I learned, um, through, that's a good question through like playing and, and bringing into coaching. I think probably first and foremost is like, as a coach, sorry, as a player, you know what it's like to be treated well or not well. So this could go as far as like how you play on the ice and, um say you have a great game and your coach is like hey that was a great game or say you have a horrible game and he doesn't say anything to you or he you know doesn't try to build confidence to the next game or the next day or that week of practice like you know what that what that feels like and so as a coach like I don't want I never I try to make sure that our guys don't feel like I treat them differently based on how they're playing now of course like if you take a horrible penalty or you do something that is like egregious that we scratch you or we don't play you the rest of the game or we sit you for an extended period of time. Like I can't be all roses at that particular moment, but I don't want, you know, I don't want to have a guy that maybe has a really good stretch of five games and then has a tough stretch of five games and the really good stretch. I'm, I'm all about him. always talking to him, best friend. And then the, the tough stretch, I just don't talk to him and I pretend like he's not there. Cause that's at times how I felt as a player. And I wouldn't even put that on my time at Suffolk. It's, it was true at times there, but I would just say in general, like I can't necessarily pinpoint one coach or one team, but just across the board as a player, I always felt like you play well, you get a pat on the back, a job, you don't play well, you just hear nothing. And that's, that's to be expected. Like I said, at, at, to some extent, but you can still go out of your way and say, like, hey, I know you've, you've had a tough stretch or this hasn't been your best game. We still believe in you. We still think you can do X, Y, and Z. You know, hey, you've had a tough stretch, but you're still in the lineup, which means something. Um, so that's that's something I definitely try to actively work on and actively do as a, as a coach. And then the other piece, which may be very similar or too similar, but I try to always like – treat our players as people first and not as players. Um, I really, again, felt like a lot of times as a player, your, your coaches treated you as just like the entity that you were on the ice. Like, you know, you can score for me or you can block shots for me or you can stop pucks if you're a goalie, whatever it is. But like, I kind of realized like there's a lot, there's a lot more to a coach than just a coach. Like, you have a social life and a family life and you have all these things that every other person does. And so as a, now as a coach, I realize like players do too. They're more than just the piece that you need them to be on a Friday or Saturday for a game. They have, you know, they have their own worries and their own problems and their own 
hopes and dreams and all that stuff. And so like getting to know them as a player, I'm sorry, as a person, it, it helps you coach them as a player because now I understand that like this, this, this kid on our team is really introspective. I, I'm not saying an example, just like, for example, a kid on the team is super introspective and he's very quiet and he cares a lot, but he doesn't say a lot. So you might take that the wrong way and you, you get to understand him more. So now I can, I can tailor how I approach him with certain things. Maybe I'm not going to like get in his face. You know, it's not particularly my style to begin with, but if it were, maybe I'm going to like adjust that a little bit. Uh, or maybe, maybe another guy is super intense and he, he responds to being yelled at. He responds to really harsh criticism. So even though that might not be how I normally handle things, I got to tailor how I treat him to that um, in that way so that I can get the most out of him. And I just think it's really hard to get the most out of your players if you don't know them as people, because like, it's just like anything, like, how are you going to relate to, you know, a friend that you don't really know what they care about, what they like, you just have a class with them. Like you got to get to know them and then you understand like, all right, this is how they operate. These are the things that they care about. Now I can, I can relate to them better than if they were just my buddy from class. Um, yeah. So yeah, those are probably the two things I would say. Nice. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm reading in between the lines, but you're going to tell us what it is. So you play four games, I'm assuming maybe uh, two, maybe three weeks um, in Evansville in the uh, Southern League. But I'm assuming this is right smack dab in a break or something with uh, Norfolk? Yeah. So um, we, we, our season finished at Suffolk. Like, I can't exactly remember, but somewhere around like end of February. And then I think I went to Evansville like a week ish later about. Um, and then I was there for two weeks. Yeah. It was like exactly two weeks. So we went down like a Sunday practice that week. We had two games in Quad City. And then I was there another week, which that second week was spring break. So I missed one week of school the first week. And then the second week was spring break. And then played two more games that were home that weekend and then flew back on the Sunday to go back to Suffolk. I like, I would have loved to stay. And uh, we had like, I think nine guys from college that had their senior years had finished at Endicott, Nichols, Marion in Wisconsin, um, Westfield state. So like, there's, there's a good amount, another kid from Suffolk. There were a good amount of us, um, and Evansville that year had just not had a good year. I think when we got there, they were like eight and eight and 40 or eight and 30 something. Wow. So they were, they were last place. And um, the head coach is a great guy, Ian Moran. And he, he kind of just like wanted to bring guys in that were playing in college that wanted to try to play pro or keep playing pro and give them an opportunity to like jumpstart going into that following year. So I would have loved to stay longer. I, I would have ended up failing my, um, capstone class as a senior in finance so yeah i was only allotted uh one what was it two absences and i missed two for that week so i had to go back the following uh so i'm a, break. and and i'm going to assume too here just reading between the lines with a lot of our guests so you could continue to play pro after you graduate but oh and for context for our listeners i believe you graduated with honors right yeah from so you know you've you've got a uh you know stellar gpa finance degree um so what made you decide to go okay 
I'm not going to do the playing career. Was it more financial base? Because, I mean, we know what even East Coast players are, are bringing down unless they've got an NHL contract. It's not much. Or was it just a thing for you like, I don't want to play anymore. I'd rather get into coaching. What what made that decision? Yeah, uh, it definitely wasn't financial because my first year coaching in juniors was probably less than any pro hockey player makes. Um, okay. It, I think for me, like I just realized how hard it was to actually play pro hockey. And it was so different than college where like you, you can't get traded obviously in college, you can transfer, but you can't have a bad stretch of three or four games and then get sent somewhere else uh, like you can in juniors and pro. And so I think by the time I, I know I was 25, I had just finished or was about to finish school. And then I was thinking like, I don't know, it's going to be hard to like make a career out of this. And as much as I loved playing, I just thought like trying to keep doing that in the, you know, probably the SP at, at best really. Like um, I just didn't, I just didn't see that being like a, like a manageable path for me. Um, and part of it too was like, you go to college and yeah, you get a degree and all that, but you also have a lot of structure. Like you have class every day, you have homework exams, you have the whole social life that college entails. And then you have hockey. Like when I was there for two weeks, I loved it, but I don't know if I could have, if I would have loved it long-term, like you practice in the morning and then you're done by noon. And we usually grab lunch with a couple guys. And then you had from like, I don't know, one to two o'clock on with nothing to do. Now, some guys worked, um, some guys were like doing their masters online, but for me being there two weeks, like I pretty much just like watched Netflix and hung out at the apartment. I didn't do anything. Right. Uh, so I kind of looked at it like I did this in juniors for two years. And if I now am doing this like full time with a college degree in a really small town, like I just, I don't know. I just didn't. And I, and honestly it's, part that and it's part that like I didn't know if I was really good enough to sustain it like could I really play a full year in Evansville or whatever team in that league I'd like to think I had a chance but I don't know and then you know you you don't make it or you get cut then you're going down to like a, a worse league or just no league at all because no one picks you up and then what do you do like you've moved yourself to whatever city whatever town that it just it seemed like volatile to me and I just I don't know I wasn't uh I didn't think that it was something I was interested in pursuing so you do um a year uh in junior coaching and then you go to Curry I believe right out in, in Milwaukee. Correct. so how did you uh um, hook up with the head coach there what was the connection and what was it like getting that gig yeah there was actually no no connection I didn't know him at all um when I was coaching juniors I think I think he had said we met once or twice, but I didn't recall just because there were a lot of new people I was meeting that year on the coaching side of things. Um, but our junior team, so that was the 2019-2020 where COVID hit in like March or whatever. Our junior team was supposed to start playoffs like two days after the whole COVID shutdown happened. So the season ended. They didn't do playoffs and our team was actually had already been sold way back in the fall to a franchise in Philadelphia. So we weren't, we were in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. We weren't, myself and that coach weren't moving. We weren't offered, nor would we have done that. 
So I knew going into the summer that like, I wasn't going to be coaching juniors there again. Um, and then COVID happened and I really was just like pretty, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was still doing my master's at Northeastern, but that was all online and it was relatively part-time in general. So my girlfriend, her dad lives in Nantucket and, uh, her and I went there for like that summer of COVID just cause there was nothing else to do anywhere. There were no jobs or anything you could do in summers with that first, uh, COVID year. So we were there and then, uh, like the, the head coach that I had worked with in juniors, he reached out to me. I was like, Curry's looking for an assistant. It'd probably be like a, a good step for you if you could get that job. So I reached out and the head coach at Curry, um, like I said, had like remembered me just from meeting me. And so we did like a couple, like a Zoom interview or two. And then um, he offered me the job maybe like two weeks later after I had first talked to him. And you know, like, again, it's a, it's a part-time assistant coaching job on a, on a stipend, not a salary, but I was more than, more than willing to do it. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't have a job otherwise didn't really want to do something outside of hockey after having started the year before. And I was psyched. Like I, I had played against Curry for four years or three out of my four years and they were always good. Um, and a couple of my buddies from juniors had gone there. So I was like, yeah, I was, I was really happy. Nice. And then you end up and you're currently at Tufts university in uh, in, in Medford, but it's actually, it's either Medfit or Medfa, depending yeah. upon where you are in Massachusetts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely uh, true. So Tufts university. So how's it going there? And now of course you have uh, several years experience under your belt. So, how has your coaching style evolved? First of all, how's the team doing and how's the coaching evolved for you? And I assume with the defenseman experience, maybe it's you're in charge of defense, maybe the uh, the penalty kill. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, so um, at Curry, I was doing defenseman and penalty kill. And then this year uh, I've been doing forwards and power play and then doing a little bit with the penalty kill as well. Um, like, I think my coaching style has has changed a good amount because I've just gotten more comfortable and older and uh, I've started to understand like what things work and are, are authentic to myself and what things aren't. Um, you know, when I was first coaching in juniors, I definitely just like, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just like on the bench, running the forwards, winging it. I got good experience because there were 50 games. So you, you kind of had to learn um, as you went. And then once I got to Curry, like there's less games, there's more time to prepare. And I started to understand like, all right, this is what an assistant coach needs to do and how you navigate, like helping the players and, and being like, um, that intermediary between like captains or players and head coach and like trying to figure out how to balance that and, and make sure you're supporting both your head coach and the players in appropriate ways. Um, so that once I, you know, once I left Curry, I feel like I had a really good pulse on that because I had done it for two years. And now this year I've just sort of like, I've definitely questioned myself less and been more confident and more like secure and the things I think, think or the things that I want to do 
as far as like how to, how to coach an individual player, or how to approach something with uh, one of the guys in the team or, or um, the special teams, all that kind of stuff. So I've definitely like gotten more confident in that regard. Um, as far as our, our team and how we're doing this year, like we've had, it's been really up and down. We have, um, I think right now we are tied for seventh in the conference with one weekend of conference games left eight make playoffs and there's 10 teams total. Uh, we've, we've basically, we started out slow and then we, we played really well in December and then went into the holiday break, came back from break, had a couple non-conference games, did all right. And then I think we were like 500 or, or two and one, something like that. And then we went into conference play and struggled just like, it wasn't even one thing. We just like, we lost a lot of close games and we um, just found ourselves struggling to win. Um, and then, so going into this past weekend, we, we were outside of the playoffs. We were in ninth and we were about probably five points out um, depending on what happened with two of the teams ahead of us. And then we went in and played uh, the third and fourth place team this past weekend on the road and we beat them both. So now we're, we're, like I said, tied for seventh and we're in a, we're in a decent spot um, going into that last weekend, two games at home on Friday, Saturday. So we should, uh, you know, we should have a really good shot at, at making a push here. And we've, we've played well at times. Like I said, we've played not so well at times. Uh, we have an interesting dynamic, I guess you'd call it, or just situation. Like we only have one senior um due to COVID and I'm not even entirely sure the circumstances because it was all before I was here obviously so we have like one senior I think four uh maybe like eight or nine juniors but all of them are D pretty much and then um like only three forwards that are juniors and then we have a ton of freshmen and sophomores and those guys are pretty much all forwards that are freshmen and sophomores so you know, it's just a, it's a unique group. Like when you have only one senior and, and yeah. um, a lot of younger guys, like I think part of that reflects in like our ability to play really well at times like this past weekend. And then other times when maybe we should have played much better, we don't. Um, so it's been, it's been, like I said, up and down, but right now it's on, it's looking a lot better and, and we've been playing really well. So. So I checked out just by doing some research on you. Uh, uh, you you either have or continuing to uh, uh, be part of a blog that beyondtheglasshockey.com mm -hmm. and one of the um, articles you wrote about not too long ago was uh, talking about uh, more analysis and and uh, uh, you know trying to not just go on gut and memory but really doing a top-down thorough review of, of your team or in this case you were saying could be an organization company whatever um, do you do that there? Are you in charge of that at Tufts or is that something the head coach does? Um, what, what type of, you know, bottom up or top down look do you do with the team? As far as like week to week or. Yeah. I mean, I, I, no, I think, I think probably during the season and again, uh, just not being a, a hockey coach or being, you know, in, in that role, uh, I would say during the season, especially when things go right and then don't go right, you know, like you're saying, if your gut's saying that I think 
you know, we're deficient in this, or the, you know, like you said, the goals against or the goals for, and then you actually start running numbers and looking at tape and you realize that you might be wrong. You've missed a lot of things. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I would say it's like, everyone does that. Not, not just one, like we have, so our head coach, we have myself as assistant and then two other assistants and a goalie coach. So, excuse me. Um, everyone's kind of doing it on their, on their own where they're, you know, on, on a day like today, Sunday, like you're watching film and you're looking back at things from the weekend. Um, Fridays going into Saturday games, like you always play someone different. So you're usually looking at like, were there any glaring deficiencies on Friday? And if not, then like, let's look at what this team does for Saturday so that we can be prepared for them. Uh, but that's sort of like, we're all doing it in different ways. Like, you know, usually I'm looking at the special teams, power play and penalty kill. Um, one of our other assistants is usually looking at that as well. And then we just kind of divvy up like the, the responsibilities as far as that goes. And then that's like, you know, from a very like tactical game perspective, game to game perspective, I think going into like a week of practice coming up, like we'll usually talk either today or tomorrow morning and think about and talk about like, what do we think needs to improve for this week and how do we go about addressing it? And uh, what day do we, do we work on that? You know, say it's, we want to improve our um, defensive zone play just overall. Should we do that on Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, you know, Thursdays are usually like a light skate cause you have a game Friday. So we, we kind of like, I guess we kind of all come with our own ideas and then we just bounce them off each other. And maybe there's some days where it's super easy because all of us have essentially the same two or three things that we think were bad or could be better. And then other times there's maybe like, I have something and our head coach has something else. And one of the other assistants has something completely different. And now it's like, all right, how do we consolidate? Everyone had seven different ideas. We only have three days of practice. Like how do we figure out that we touch on the most important things without overwhelming the players with, so many you know areas to improve and things to focus on so it's kind of all of us doing it but in our own in our own way so um we talked briefly um off air before we came on and i kind of prepped you for this question so having on um, different coaches and especially guys that are more my age in their 50s 40s i guess late thirties, they will all complain about, you know, these damn kids today with their cell phones and how either it's an attention deficit issue or a lack of focus, or sometimes just the inability for the players to communicate on the ice. Sometimes they, I won't put names, uh, cause I really don't remember. I don't want to put a name names to some of their comments, but it's been mostly like they believe it's because of this generation's uh, reliance on technology that they don't really have to communicate the way that we should, I guess. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but I know we talked about it off air. How do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of it is definitely generational in the sense that like you grew up guys that are or people that are in college these days, guys and girls are, are, you know, oh or i guess like 99 to 04 birth years somewhere in that range so it is totally different than 
growing up when I did being born in 94 or 84, 74, going all the way back. So there's definitely, there's definitely differences in communication. And I think, I think as far as like what I, what I see on the ice is that, yeah, sometimes I, I notice like our, our guys not, and not just here, like even at Curry, just in general, like the college age guys now, they don't necessarily, they're not as like vocal on the ice, maybe as I remember our, my teams being, but then again, like, I, you know, that's like, uh, that's very subjective. Cause I couldn't be remembering it totally off. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is probably true that like, there's just a little less communication or you have to be more intentional is probably what it is. And, and be like, we need to communicate. I mean, we have had this conversation with our team this year, like in practice, uh, we do a drill where like, it's a line rush down two on one and a three on two back. And like coaches are passing the puck to the two or to the three that go on their respective line rushes. And sometimes I, I make a point, like I won't pass the puck, even though the kid is wide open until he calls for it. Cause it's like, that's the point. Like I, I'm passing you the puck from where a winger would be. And what I, the way I've described it is like this guy in this position on the wall, he doesn't see always the whole ice because he's got to have his back turned to pick up the puck or his head down on his feet, getting it out of his feet to a stick. So you've got to talk to him. Like, where are you coming from? Are you low in the middle? Are you high? Are you looking for a chip, a direct? Like, are you completely on the other side of the ice? So you want like a far side, like you just got to talk and let him know where you are. Um, so that's like, as a little example, I guess, on the ice. Well, one one piece with like the phones that I really think I've done more of uh, the last two years, and I started doing it last year with the defenseman at Curry, and I've done it quite a bit this year with <clears throat> whether it's power play or penalty kill or forwards, um, like, or just, sorry, or just individual guys and not a group, but like texting them things before the game that you want to, accomplish that night. Hey, here's three keys that we want to, that we want to accomplish tonight. I do that quite a bit or after a game, like, Hey, these were the, these were the areas like on the bus this past weekend, I texted a couple of guys, like, these are things you did really well. And I think, I don't know, cause I, I don't have the evidence to know whether it works better than talking in person, but I think like reading those words and seeing it on your phone, which is what your this generation is doing all the time. I think sometimes that sinks in better and even though like someone my age or someone your age might be like, you're going to text them that like, that's not really like, right. Th like that's more, that's not very professional. You should talk to them about it. But I really think like, okay, but that's our generation The you're, this is not about you now. It's about these, these younger guys and how they communicate and what they're used to and getting a text that says like, these are the three things we want to accomplish tonight. They're going to read that and remember it because it's more tangible than listening to your words. So yeah. I don't know if it works. That's just like what I do. Um, so that's, that's probably one where I, one piece of communication where I, I initially viewed texting as like a, you shouldn't do it. You should call or have a uh, in-person conversation. And now I think like, depending on the spots that you pick when, to, when to use it, I think it can be really effective. So um, whether, whether you've had to face this or whether it's the head coach, um, and, and of course it's situational, but I'm just throwing it out as a broad question. Earlier on, you said you enjoyed the coaches that kind of say, Hey, look, you know, you had a bad game. You had a bad weekend. Uh, here's what we want from you. Uh, don't worry. You know, we still believe in you that uh, mentality. At what point is a coach 
do you say, we've given you the time, you know, or how much time do you give a player to say, we need to see these things start to change. And when they don't change, now we got problems. Yeah, that, that's a good question. It's, it's really situational, which I know doesn't help, but right. It does. It does really depend. Like I always, I always think of it. um, When I was doing my master's at Northeastern, I don't know that he's the AD there still, but he was the AD at Harvard and he spoke to our class and he was explaining that like as an AD, he has to be fair, but not equal. And he was like, if I need, you know, say the football team needs a hundred thousand dollars for new equipment and upgraded, you know, whatever, um, pieces of equipment but also like video and all that kind of stuff they need that for their team because they have 100 players in the team and every player requires x now the men's and women's tennis team they need new equipment as well and new video equipment and all that but they don't need a hundred thousand dollars worth of it because they don't have 100 players in their team they only have 15 so he's like if i am equal i'm going to give both teams a hundred thousand dollars i'm going to waste a bunch of money on tennis and I'm probably not going to have that money that I'd like to spend on maybe another team in our department. So I don't need to be equal. I need to be fair. And that if, if the football team needs all new equipment and the tennis team needs all new equipment, regardless of the cost, I need to provide that for both of them. I look at this very similar where you ask different players to do very different things. What you are expecting from, let's say one of your your most defensive shutdown defenseman is wildly different than what you're expecting from your top point producing forward. So to say that both of them should have the same amount of leeway on certain in certain areas of their game is not true. I mean, that defensive, that defensive defenseman, if he's a, you know, a minus two in a game, like this needs to be your bread and butter. I can't have you minus two. Whereas if you're a point producing forward and maybe you had, three points all in the power play and you were still minus two, like it's not good. And it's still, we want more. We want that to be better, but you also put three in the net for us. And like, that's kind of what we need you to do. So it's, it's different in that way where like, I think you have to make sure to approach each player, um, you know, like, like fairly in the sense that like, and that, that probably all stems back to explaining in the beginning of the year or, you know, some point early on in the season, like this is what we expect from you. This is your role. And this is why we need you to do what we need you to do. Uh, there was a player, I, I, not on our team now, but that always wanted to be, uh, was a player I coached in the past, always wanted to be on like a higher line than the one he was on. And despite the line he was on, he, I think he was third on the team in points. And I said to him at one point, like, I know you want to play on a higher line on a, on the depth chart, the first or second line, but you don't understand that like when you are playing on our fourth line or on our third line, our team is that much better because now the fourth line will play 11 minutes instead of six and a half. And the fourth line goes out and scores the game winner in a one, nothing win. When, if you're not on that line, I don't think that line scores that goal. So part of it is like, he just needs to know what his role is and why his role is what it is. Doesn't mean he likes it but he can at least understand the rationale behind it. And now you can hold him to that standard, hold him accountable for the things that you asked him to do or the things that you need him to do. And, and to me, those are like, that's how you treat a player fairly so that you, you know, like, Hey, we talked about this on 
let's say January 15th. It's now February 11th. And like, you haven't made any progress towards what we talked about. That's too long. But another guy, maybe what you're asking to do is a little simpler and doesn't require as much time. And you asked him on the 15th of January and by the 19th of January, he hadn't made any progress. And you're like, all right, no, done. Like that was too much. So it really is, it really is circumstantial, I think. Okay. Um, are you still uh, got your hand in some scouting? Uh, the uh, online, yep. you know, they've got your regional scout for um, the uh, premier junior in the uh, USA. I think it's Green Bay, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. So um, interesting because I mean we've had on I mean I mean we've had on uh, one of the scouts for uh, Florida Panthers on last year. He's a good 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 buddy of ours, and um, it's sort of a a, a mystery of what exactly what, what does a scout do. And it could be everything from a full time gig to a non paying gig to a whatever you make it. Um, you're a regional scout, so I'm assuming. And by the way, it's it's not strange to me thinking that the Boston area, Massachusetts, is the greatest place on earth. But an Ohio boy is kind of stuck around Boston so far his whole career, which uh, I think is pretty cool. But anyway, yeah. I, I digress. Scouting um, is it is it what what are you what are you doing for? What are you looking for? How much time does it take, or is it hey I go to games whenever I can, and this is what I look for, and this is what I report. Yeah, um, it's pretty. It's it's pretty much what you just said. That like we so with Green Bay, the assistant GM. I had I met him last year, just completely randomly at a game at a prep school game, um, and we just talked. Like we we both showed up late, so we were stuck in the student section, and we just talked like the whole game. And then he was a, a hockey journal writer at the time. And so we kept in touch and then I talked to him over the summer and he was like, I, I actually need help in this area, like scouting the 03 to 06 birth years um, for Green Bay. Like, would you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, like 100 percent I would. Um, so it's completely vol- volunteer based. There's no pay. There's no um, compensation for it, which is beyond fine with me. Um, and it's really like it's so I, I do the O three or I help him with the O three to O six birth years, uh, in this area, he has a massive list of anyone and everyone that might be in the ballpark of those, uh, in those age range or those, uh, that age range. So, you know, some of it is me going out and just identifying like, Hey, I thought this kid played really well. Uh, odds are like Kirk is this assistant GM. That's his name. Kirk knows the kid already. Like he's well aware of, who the kid is. There's not really any kids I think I've ever brought up to him that he didn't know. Um, But then there are also like specific assignments, I guess, of like, Hey, I want you to see this kid or when you are going to this game, it's usually that like, I'm telling him I'm going to go to a game. um, And he's like, okay, watch these two guys or these three guys. And then like right now, because it's towards the end of the season and the, um, the USHL draft is in May excuse me, he has given me like one player specifically that he really wants me to watch. So he's like, I won't be able to watch him because he travels all over the country watching different levels. So he's like, I won't see him again this year. I need you to watch him. So like last week I watched a little film on him. I've seen him play plenty of times already, but just not in the last month or so. Um, so then there are, there are scenarios like that where it's like, 
really focused on one guy and tell me what you think of him. And then, you know, I haven't experienced like the whole draft and everything yet, but that's obviously like where the scouts can provide value as far as when to draft someone and what, um, you know, at what round or at what pick do you do that at? Uh, he's in charge. Well, the GM is in charge of that. And then Kirk, the assistant GM is kind of like um, right there with him as well. Cause he does, the GM is also the head coach. So he's coaching in. What do, um, when we're talking developing young players here, what do you think these guys are looking for? Is it, um, is it hockey awareness hockey skills do they say we don't mind if somebody has fast feet but the stick puck control is average uh hockey iq the ability to make plays out of nothing or is it just competitiveness the way i and i I guess i can't speak for everyone or or maybe even anyone uh like within green bay i would say the when you're looking at players for the ushl like you have to do all of everything you just mentioned, you have to be good at, like you can't have really any deficiencies because it is the best, it's the best junior league in this country and, and one of the best in the world. Um, I know they don't get much crossover with like the Canadian CHL leagues, but probably right there with all those teams. So if you are super competitive, but you're a tough skater or you're a really good skater, but you don't have great skill, like, I, I don't know that the USHL is the league for you because every, for the, for the most part, everyone in that league does everything well. Of course they have like certain, I'm talking really minor deficiencies and things they can get better at, but you're looking at like, I don't know, like the NHL of junior hockey, essentially like there's, you can't get much better than that. So I think like the biggest difference for me is like when you're looking at players for division three, whether it's Curry or Tufts, there's there's a lot of times something that that doesn't that that doesn't connect there's like one deficiency or or more potentially but the players that you really like they still tend to have like one thing that isn't quite as good as maybe other guys so like for example maybe a player is super talented super competitive great shot sees the ice well but he's small he's like five six okay or so he's like right there, like you're probably a division three player because it's going to be hard to play division one without the size, or maybe you have the size and you have the skating and you have the, the skill, but you have no competitiveness to you. Like you're just, you're not lazy, but you're just not a competitive kid. Like also probably D three. So when you see, like for me, when we recruit at the division three level, you know, like when you find a player that maybe like, I can think of one player that, that is coming to us who, checks all those boxes boxes off but he's five six like but that's a great like i like i'm fine with that 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 works because you know you're gonna have to take something that doesn't jive um like there's gonna be one area the difference is i think at the ushl level like you don't have there's no there should be no deficiencies relatively speaking in that game it should be in that player's game it should be you know a player that can do pretty much everything pretty well if not almost perfect so to kind of wrap up and again you can be ambiguous here if you want uh, because i don't want you know you to give away like your future plans but where do you uh where do you think you're headed in in the in the future and uh do you think that uh 
coaching is going to be the thing or it might morph into something else or are you going to do finance uh, what's the next store for you yeah that's a good that's a good question i mean definitely uh definitely not finance i don't see anything in that field for me um i don't know though like i i obviously really enjoy coaching i do enjoy scouting as well uh i've always thought it'd be cool like the with the scouting piece it's more like management like not so much coaching but like a gm or even athletic directors they athletic directors i've learned are a little different than like a sports gm as far as responsibilities and things you're in charge of but those more like management positions that aren't necessarily like on the ice coaching um i think just like the zoomed out 10,000 foot aspect to it is kind of cool um but i i really don't know like i i have yet to I've yet to wake up and not enjoy going to coach on a daily basis. So for now, that's, that's what I'll keep doing. Nice, man. We'll say goodbye off air. So hang on, but officially I can't thank you enough here today. We're not going to take any more of your time. Uh, Andrew and I certainly going to be following your coaching career like we do everybody else. And we wish you the uh, best of luck and thanks for coming on. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, definitely. Appreciate you guys having me on and, and following my path. So thank you.